So I don't know where you spent uh, Christmas, New Year's. We had a great Christmas Eve service. Many of you uh, were were a part of that with us. It was wonderful. Uh, And then you had Christmas and and New Year's. My family just got back from Indiana. That's where we spent New Year's. Our whole family is up there. And uh, my side of the family, Abby's side of the family. So it was great and and to be able to, to spend time with them, but but uh, but we think this is cold. This is not. This is not. This is not cold. It's a different kind of thing up there. Uh, some of you traveled to different places, and you know what I'm talking about. I think it was six degrees one day, or something crazy like that. It was so cold. I mean, beyond reason, uh, it was it was cold. Beyond livable, if you ask me, it was cold up there. And so, at one point, we were we were traveling from home to to, to another home, another part of the family, to celebrate. Uh, late Christmas and those types of things, and we had to stop by the Walmart in Cordon, Indiana, which is an adventure all of, a, of itself, a uh, special place uh, there. And so I was grabbing a couple of things, and as I was going by, again, it was so cold. Like, the kids had hats and gloves and everything, but the, but the cold was just kind of seeping through all of that. And so there was this, this stack of, of hats, and I was like, I don't know, maybe they can double up or something. Like, it's just so, so crazy out there. And, uh, and I saw them, and I, and I stopped. And I thought, well, these, these are pretty special. I, I, brought, I brought one. Um, now, those of you in the back, uh, you're not going to be able to really see this, but I'll describe it for you. So <clears throat> this, is, uh, this is Santa Claus riding a unicorn in space. And, it's, and it says, just believe. That's, that's 350 well spent, guys. Uh, so I took that out to the car, and the kids were all pumped about it. And they were like, oh, this is so great, but there's, this, there's something... There's something in it, and it's a light. It lights up. It lights up. And so, uh, so they were pumped about this. The other one is just, uh, it's a fireplace with a light on it. Oh, man, I hope I can get this off. Uh, it's a fireplace with a light on it, and it just says, it's cold outside. So that's more just a declaration. More, this is more hopeful. Uh, so I showed you that one. But um, so, so we're driving, and uh, we're going to, to my mom and, and stepdad's house. And uh, so the kids, I was like, hey, put the lights on. We go in. Uh, Terry will love it. And that's my stepdad. And, and he did. And so we walked in, and uh, he saw the hats and then gave what is a very common Indiana phrase. Maybe common in other places, but it's very common in Indiana. Uh, it doesn't get better than that. It doesn't get better than that is a very common Indiana phrase. Usually there's a, a man either on the front or the back side of that phrase. Like, man, doesn't get any better than that or doesn't get any better than that, man. Uh, depending on <laughs> what side of the river you're on uh, is where you put the man. But anyway. So, so uh, it doesn't get any better than that. And uh, it's a pretty benign phrase. You might say it when your whole family's around the dinner table. They've come in. It's like, man, it doesn't get any better than this. Or, or you, you, you open that present that you've been longing for. And it's like, oh, man, this is it. This is, I've arrived. I've got the thing. It's a, it's a, it's a benign phrase in some sense. But, but it does lead to, to a question, right? As we begin a new year, new things are happening. We're, we're diving into a year studying the life of Jesus. This week, specifically, we're going to look at why we have the relationships we have in Africa, it seems an appropriate question to ask, does it get any better than this? Like, is this it? Have we, have we arrived? Does it get any better than this? So we're going to look at Mark chapter 1, my, my favorite chapter in, in the entire Bible to, to begin to unpack the answer to that question. So there are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They all tell the story of the life of Jesus in the New Testament Uh, And Luke and Matthew begin their story of the life of Jesus with his birth, which is a very logical place to start. Mark starts in a different place, though. He starts almost like it's like it's being shot out of a cannon, like 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 there's been this long pause and then boom, something surprising happens. So he starts 
with quoting Isaiah. Isaiah was a prophet, lived 600 years before Jesus, and talked about how, how, how God was going to do something new. It was a new time, and, and you should be on the lookout for it, because God's going to do something new. God's going to show up, and he's going to take away all the wrong. All the wrong, he's just going he's gonna to obliterate all the wrong, and all that's going to be left is hope and joy and love and unity. That's what God's going to do. And Isaiah says, be on the lookout for it, and then bang, Jesus shows up. This is what's happening in the first chapter of Mark. Jesus shows up. Things happen very quickly. Jesus is baptized. The heavens are torn open. The Spirit of God descends, and God's voice says, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. One of the gospel accounts says, listen to him. Then Jesus, Mark is, again, the pace is so quick. Mark then says Jesus is sent out to the desert. He's tempted by the, by the devil to not live up to any of the things that he was called or created to be, but Jesus fights off that temptation, and he comes back. And his first words of ministry in verse 15, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So this is the big thing. This is the big new thing that we're all waiting for. This is God showing up to do something incredible. So what happens next must be, it must be huge. It must be a display of this kingdom on earth. And so the very next thing that happens is this, verse 16. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once, they left their nets and followed him. That's it. That, that's, that's the big thing. That's the climax. God showing up in the flesh, fighting off Satan, coming back. The heavens breaking open. The kingdom is, is at hand. It's near. It's drawn close to us. That's it. That's the climax. A couple of fishermen. Mark is emphatically saying, yes, that's it. That's how the kingdom that Jesus said he came to bring, that's how it's going to be built, through Jesus calling people to do more than they have the capacity to do without him. That's how the kingdom gets built. And the fact that they're fishermen tells us a lot about, uh, it's called Simon here, Peter, throughout much of the rest of the scriptures, Peter and Andrew. And it actually should be good news for us that they were fishermen. Let me explain. So being a disciple of a rabbi in that time, 2,000 years ago, when Jesus walked the earth, that, that was the pinnacle. That was it. If you could make it to that, you'd made it to the, to the top of, of society. It sounds strange to us, but it would be like uh, being a, a disciple of a rabbi would, would, would be like making the NBA or, or, or being a pop star or being a Fortune 500 CEO. Like That was what you were aiming for in that culture. And so young boys would try to uh, engage with a, a rabbi to say, can I, can I follow you? Can I just follow you around, learn from you? Will you instruct me, teach me? And then eventually someday maybe I can be a rabbi. And so they, they, would, they would do this. Peter and Andrew were fishermen, which means they weren't disciples and they weren't rabbis, which means they weren't good enough, which means they didn't measure up, which means they weren't biblical scholars, they weren't miracle workers. They weren't world changers. Not until Jesus called them. So Jesus was inviting these fishermen, these people that had been left out past to the side. He's inviting them to be part of ushering in the kingdom of God, this kingdom of hope and joy and peace and love. Fishermen. And they knew they didn't have what it took. 
They've been passed over time and time and time again. They couldn't trust their own ability. When Jesus says, follow me, they didn't drop their nets and say, yeah, I've been waiting for this. I've been training for this. I'm ready to go. They didn't have what it took. What they had was the ability to trust Jesus more than their abilities. And when Jesus calls them, they, they, they could have seen him coming and, and, and he says, follow me. And they could have said, finally, finally someone noticed us. Finally, we're not left out anymore. Finally, the, 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 we're not passed over. Finally. It doesn't get any better than this. And they could have gone back to fishing. But Mark tells us they dropped their nets and they followed Jesus. This is important for us. We sometimes forget that availability is a better indicator of success than ability alone is. It's resolution season, right? New Year's resolutions. Uh, lots of us have them. I, I kind of like resolutions. Some people don't. Some people do. I kind of like them. I, I like starting the year with, with some things to focus on and, and, and to give some direction. And for many of us, those resolutions include something about physical fitness. It seems kind of, kind of a common New Year's resolution. I mean, we've all had the, the ID card that says, you know, Planet Fitness gets $10 a month from us for the last three years. But we're saying, this is the year that I'm actually going to open the door to Planet Fitness. I'm going to go inside. I'm going to introduce myself uh, to them again after a long hiatus. And so you say, okay, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to go to the gym three days a week. Or I'm going to go to the gym five days a week, whatever it is, whatever that re- resolution is. Once that commitment has been, ba- been made, what's the best indicator of success to actually live out that commitment? Is it being able to, to bench press 300 pounds or, or being able to run a six-minute mile? Or is it getting yourself in a position to consistently get to the gym? Because if you never make it to the gym, all the ability in the world doesn't do you any good. It's because availability is a better determinant factor of success than ability alone is. When Jesus asks the fishermen to to, to follow him, he was asking them to give him a first yes. And all the things that he was calling them to was was way more than that first yes, way more than that first follow me, but it it was dependent on that first yes. Eight years ago when we started this campus, those 200 people, they, we didn't know exactly what we were doing. We didn't have all the information. We'd never started a multi-site before. We just wanted to live out the vision. We just wanted to reach people with the hope and the help of the gospel. We just wanted to go to people like Jesus went to people to help them know they matter to God. And, 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 so, and so we did. And what I realized, and this has been so, uh, so important to me over, over my years of ministry, the first yes, once you give that first yes, It's all downhill from there. Every other yes is easy after that. After that first, I don't know everything that comes next, but I know I can, I just want to go and trust. Once you give that first yes, you'll show up early, you'll stay late, you'll stack the chairs, you'll pray hard, you'll you'll learn, you'll grow, you'll do that because the first yes is so important. It's always bigger than the first yes, but it's always dependent on the first yes. Availability is a better determinant factor of success than ability alone is. So as you enter the new year, as we enter the new year, how available are you? The two fishermen dropped their nets. They said yes. And while the gospel of Mark starts with the announcement, Jesus announcing that the kingdom had 
come near. The rest of the gospel, what Peter and Andrew actually got to see, what they got to experience, was Jesus showing what that kingdom looks like. That kingdom come on earth, Jesus shows us what that, what that looks like. And so Peter and Andrew got to see it. What the disciples saw when they dropped their nets and they followed Jesus was they saw Jesus go to the leper when no one else would. They saw Jesus in, in a crowd that was pushing him along stop and turn to the blind beggar that no one else noticed. They saw Jesus go where no one expected him to go, what the Bible says is the other side of the lake. He goes where no one expected him to go to free a man who had literally been left for dead. He was living in a tomb. That's what they got to see. That's what Jesus was about. That's what he invited his followers into. And so Jesus led his followers to heal the sick and to move toward the outcast and to eat with the sinner and to, and to invite those left out inside. He led them to, to hope and pray that the kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. And because he called his disciples to that, and because we want to continue to follow him, we want to say yes to that call around here. We believe that seeking the kingdom means being very interested with the here and now as well as the hereafter. And that has everything to do with us being a church, being a people that, that seeks to serve others. That's why that's core to our vision, to be a church that serves others. And that's why about a dozen years ago, some of the leadership from Summit got on a plane and flew to Malawi. The leadership had heard about this disease that was, that was ripping large swaths of, of Africa apart. And, and so we formed a relationship and said, hey, let's, let's go see, let's go have some conversations and, and talk about this. So we headed to Sub-Saharan Africa. And when we got there, what we saw was people. We saw people that were dealing with circumstances that many of us never will, will have to face, that, that were living in, in, in a place where, where providing for your family because it can be a difficult thing to do. We, we saw people who, who were heartbroken after, after losing uh, wives and husbands and, and sisters and brothers and, and neighbors to the AIDS pandemic. And so as we walked through this rural village in, in Malawi and, and, and continued to form relationships with the people there, uh, we were walking by and there was a well uh, uh, in the middle of this village and it was all boarded up. And uh, we were just passing by, we were like, hey, what's going on with the, with the well? And they said, oh, we don't use that well anymore, which was strange because it was clearly the best source of clean water anywhere around. Uh, the, the water's heavy if you've ever carried it, and so to, to travel to a distant well and bring the water back would be arduous to do. And so this was clearly the best source of water for this, this part of the village. And so we said, so why don't you use it? And they said, well, because someone drowned in it last week, which was shocking and terrible. Like, oh my gosh. And they said, well, it's, it's actually worse than the fact that someone drowned. It actually was a young lady, and, uh, and it wasn't an accident. It was intentional. And we said, well, what happened? And they said, well, well, she was diagnosed with HIV and, and she, she didn't think there was any way to get better. She didn't think there was any hope. She didn't think that there was anybody that would care for her or care about her and, and she was despairing and, and so she jumped into the well. Even though there was a clinic that would have provided for a care less than two miles away. And so when we heard that story, what we realized was the AIDS pandemic it, it isn't just claiming lives due to lack of health, though it does. It claims lives due to lack of hope, and neither of those things is okay. 
And so we committed to do something about it for as long as it takes, which sounds crazy, I know, but that's what we've committed to. And part of what we committed to do was learn and have that learning inform our actions. And part of what we learned is this. There was a UN report that sums it up this way. It says, the immense scale of the AIDS-related illnesses and deaths in the region is weakening governance capacities for service delivery for seri- uh, with serious consequences on food security, economic growth, and human development. That's a lot of words. It's a fancy way of saying this. The fact that 6,000 people die every day from AIDS-related illnesses and the fact that one in three people in sub-Saharan Africa is undernourished and the fact that only 20% of girls in the region have access to education and even the fact that 12.4 million people in Africa are displaced due to conflict or violence, it means all of those things are related. It means this is a complicated issue. And because the issues are multifaceted and they're interrelated, what we've decided to do is, is, is focus on a specific region and, and create partnerships, develop partnerships with people that are doing good Christ-honoring work across multiple areas. And so we partner with organizations doing things uh, from food sustainability to, to economic development to, to caring for those directly affected by AIDS to, to church planting which is so important, to caring for vulnerable children so that they can have the food and the clothes and the, and the education and the health care and the love of Jesus that they need to transform Africa. And we form these relationships and we send teams of people to Africa to do everything we can to end systemic injustice and end systemic poverty, of which the AIDS pandemic is a symptom. And so here's what I'm asking I'm asking us to care about it, and I'm asking us to do something about it. I'm asking you to go. I'm asking you to go and be a part of one of the teams that goes this year to further those partnerships. My hope is that you'll be part of this with us, because it isn't the responsibility of some of us, it's the opportunity for all of us. And in these partnerships, again, we're in it for the long haul. Change on the scale of millions Seeing an end to the AIDS pandemic takes time and dedication and prayer and hope and trust. And if you're wondering that statement to see the end of the AIDS pandemic, you're like, that sounds crazy. I believe that it's possible and I believe that we can see it in our lifetime. And there's science to start to back that up. But it's gonna take us. It's gonna take us saying it gets better than this. When... uh, when Peter, the fisherman, was, uh, was called by Jesus. I don't know if he believed that he could be a foundational piece of the movement that changed all of history. I don't, I don't know if he knew that when he dropped his net. Maybe he didn't. Maybe he had no idea that he would be part of, of changing the world. But he knew he could follow Jesus, so he said yes to that. And at points along the way, Peter actually didn't think he had what it took. He didn't think he could follow Jesus. He didn't think that God would pick up where his abilities left off. At one point, he, was, uh, he saw Jesus walking on water. And he said, uh, he said I want to I do that too. I want to I come out on the water with you, Jesus. And Jesus is like, come on. And so he gets out of the boat and, and he starts to walk toward him. He keeps his eyes on Jesus. And as soon as he looks away, he, he starts to sink. And Jesus is right there to save him. Toward the end, right before Jesus goes to the cross, 
Peter looks Jesus in the eye and he says, I'll do anything for you. I'll die for you if I have to. Hours later, Peter denies that he even knows Jesus publicly. And Peter, ashamed, he goes back to fishing. He goes back to what he knows. And Jesus finds him even there and restores him even there. Jesus has this way of reminding us over and over and over again of, of who we really are, how important we actually are, and how our best day isn't that first day we believed in him, but it's the day we continue to follow him. So you might not think you can pull it off. You might not think you can, you can trust God outside of your, your comfort zone. Maybe the idea of going to Africa sounds just crazy. Maybe you don't think you have enough to, to share the love of Jesus with the world. But my hope is that somewhere deep down, you know you can trust him. And I promise you that'll take you a lot farther than your abilities will because availability is a better determinant factor of success than ability alone is. And the, the thing is, the tide is actually turning on this thing. AIDS-related deaths in sub-Saharan Africa fell 39% between 2005, when we were standing over that well, and 2013. Down 63% in Ethiopia, down 60% in Kenya, down 51% in Malawi, and it's still falling. New infections are down 33% over that same time in the region. The AIDS pandemic that brought the world to its knees is now bringing people to its feet. And that doesn't mean we can leave. It means it's worth it. It means it's worth it that we partner there, that we seek inconvenient unity, that we, that we go and we learn and we offer what we have and we pray hard and we hope there's still 20 three million infected people in East Central Africa and they matter to God and they should matter to us. C.S. Lewis once said that Christianity is a fighting faith and we should keep fighting, but not with the conventions of our day, not with hatred and, and, and division. We fight with hope. Hope's the best kind of weapon. I believe that poverty the AIDS pandemic, which is a symptom, all of its many facets, I believe that poverty is wrong and, it, and it's terrible because it's antithetical to the peace that Jesus said he came to bring on earth. Poverty isn't neutral. We can't see it as such. And our best day is when we care about it. That's where the church comes to life. That's where the church is beautiful. That's where the church shines when we believe that our best day isn't back there somewhere and it's not so far out that it's just a fantasy that we can't even touch, but that we believe that our best day is when we trust Jesus and we go after it. The church comes to life when these fighting people live in anticipation of what God is up to and then we get up tomorrow and we do it again. And we get up at tomorrow and we do it again. That's when the church shines. That's who we're supposed to be. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar uh, recently wrote a book. Uh, it's a really good book about his 50-year relationship with Coach John Wooden, UCLA's longtime basketball coach. And he talked about why their relationship endured so long, even though they were so different. Uh, John Wooden was a 5'10 white guy from Indiana, so me. Uh, and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar uh, is a 7'3 black guy from New York. And they're so different. And, and so uh, Jabbar talks about how the, the differences didn't divide them, even though there were significant differences. 
He said, wherever they were, that what held us together is that, that Wooden was someone who, who would always be there for you. Here's the quote from the book. He says, sometimes you learn the most not uh, through what a person says or even how they live their lives, but from where they are when you need them. Sometimes you learn the most from someone by where they are when you need them. Jesus invites us to drop our nets and care for those in the world that need us. So where are we gonna be? He's calling us to something far bigger than the first yes, but it depends on the first yes. Because small steps in the right direction have this way of leading to really, really big change. It did so for Peter and Andrew when Jesus walked by the lake and he said, follow me. I believe he's inviting us to the very same thing. The question is, are we available? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for, uh, for your word. Thank you that it is a reminder that you call really surprising people into unbelievably good things. Thank you for the reminder that you call people beyond their abilities. Thank you for the reminder that If we place our hope in you, ultimately that hope will not disappoint and will take us so much further than we can get to on our own. So I pray that as we move into this year that we would be available to you, that we would say yes to where you are inviting us to go and that will take us beyond what we're able to do on our own and I pray that for many of us will consider this idea that you might be calling us halfway around the world to help communicate your love and your grace and your hope in this world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.